Well, my name is Hayden Rat. I'm the lead pastor here at Walk Church, and I just want to go ahead and enter us back into Ephesians chapter 1, um, and as we go ahead and get prepared to continue in our Blessed Life series. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the time of worship that we've had, and I pray that, God, you would just continue to, uh, continue to move in a mighty way this morning, God. Lord, even right now, we together just ask you, Lord, speak to us. Lord, speak to us. God, we trust you this morning, God. We need you. We can't do what we do without you. And we don't want to either, God. We want you. We need you, Lord. So God, the highest praise goes to you. The glory goes to you. And so Lord, may we encounter your presence by your spirit, through your word, this morning. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, the first half of Ephesians chapter 1, specifically in verse 3 all the way to verse 14, is actually a 203-word single sentence that's packed with the love of God, the good news about Jesus, His coming, His living the life that we could never live, His dying the death that we deserve to die, His rising from the grave that we would have stayed dead in, and finally demonstrating His powerful resurrection that we need in our lives personally. Jesus is victorious overall. And the Apostle Paul is writing to us in this long sentence in the first half of Ephesians, praying that all the blessings that come to the person who believes in those very things, that Jesus came, he, he lived the perfect life, he died the perfect death, he rose from the grave, and now he gives us his life. That Jesus is now praying, or or that Paul is now writing to us and praying for us that we would get it, that we would understand those things. And so maybe you would ask, as we get ready to jump into this next half of the chapter one, you would ask, how do you follow up a powerful statement like that? Right? Again, a 203 word power sentence, right? Some, Some English teachers in here would be like, man, you can't have that long of a sentence. Use a period. Break it up a little bit. Paul was like, no, I'm going for it. I'm going to include all the blessings that the believer has in Christ. And we talked about them, didn't we? We talked about what it means to be chosen by God. We talked about what it means to be adopted into his family. We talked about what it means to be redeemed by Jesus and then forgiven of all of our sins. We talked about what it means to be given insight. We talked about what it means to have eternity that's ours. We talked about what it means to have these type of blessings. That's what it means when we call this the blessed life. Not one time in Ephesians 1, Verse 3 through 14, does Paul mention a material blessing? Is that amazing? It says that God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing, and he doesn't mention one time about physical blessings. But he says if we can understand the spiritual blessings, that will inform everything else. And so in that first long sentence, we see that. But now in the second half of the chapter, we see the Apostle Paul follow up what he just wrote with these words here in verses 1 Chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. If you're ready, say ready. Bump the person next to you and say, let's do this. Let's do this. The Apostle Paul writes, he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom 
and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul follows up this powerful sentence packed with his blessings. With now praying for his church. Praying that we wouldn't just hear and read these words, but they would become reality for us. That we wouldn't just read words on a page, but that we would read them and we would say, I'm reading about myself here. That we wouldn't just read about all these blessings and say, that was awesome for the Ephesian church 2,000 years ago. But we would read our names into these pages. We wouldn't just see forgiveness happen then, but forgiveness happens now. We wouldn't just see redemption happen in that person's life, but that can happen in my life. And Paul says, unless the Lord reveals that to you, you'll never see it. He says that you'll read these words and they'll just be blank words on a page. Paul's saying, I want to follow up my blessed, uh, passionate pursuit that you guys get it with prayer now. And he starts off in verse 15, and I want us to just unpack these verses verse by verse. And he says it in verse 15 like this. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I love verse 15 and 16 as we just go ahead and hone in on these two verses for a second. We see that Paul has actually heard something. Here's what he heard. He heard that the Ephesian church had demonstrated authentic, genuine, real, vibrant faith in Jesus, right? And so the, the believers that are part of the Ephesian church, I want you guys just to know this. So, so the apostle Paul, right, was radically saved on the road to Damascus. He was a messed up dude. If you walked into Walk Church this morning and you got a past and you got stuff going on in your life and you got sin going on in your life, I just want to say welcome home, all right? You fit right in, okay? And you fit right in with the Apostle Paul's testimony too. As we're all just on the pursuit of the perfect one. He is perfecting us. We haven't arrived yet. We haven't. But we're taking steps along that journey. And the Apostle Paul was somebody who was saved from his sinful past. And God put a calling on his life to now preach the gospel in the cities who had yet heard it. And one of the cities was the city of Ephesus. So Paul went to Ephesus and he planted a church. It was probably a smaller church. It probably met in a home. And Paul is now writing a letter to the church that he once planted. And he's saying, you know what's awesome, church? I heard about you guys. I heard a report about you guys. And you know the report that Paul heard? He said, I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus. Did you guys know that your faith speaks? Your reputation is important. I love how the proverb writer says it in the book of Proverbs, King Solomon. He says, a good reputation is far greater than silver and gold. Don't ever sell out your Christian testimony for money. It won't be worth it at the end of the day. A good reputation is what you're going to need and what you're going to want. And Paul says, when I heard about you guys, there must have been a, a traveler or a messenger who, who, who arrived at the, at the Apostle Paul when he was imprisoned. As he wrote this letter from, from prison. He said, I want to tell you something about the Ephesian church. And Paul probably was like, oh man, what, what'd they do? Or what's happening? Not all of the churches always gave a good report. If you read about the church in Corinth, you would see a lot of crazy stuff happening. If you read about the church in Philippi, you'll see an awesome church, but they struggled with division and gossiping. If you read about other churches in the scriptures, like the church in Galatia, you'll see that they had some issues understanding the law and understanding the gospel. And so Paul's like, man, I, I hear all this 
struggle. Tell me about the Ephesian church. And they said, Pastor Paul, that church got faith. Not only do they have faith, but he's heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love toward all the saints. I want to give you guys just a brief quote here uh, from Warren Wearsby. In his commentary on the book of Ephesians, he says that Paul desires the Ephesian Christians to understand what great wealth they had in Christ. Paul knew of their faith and love, and in this he rejoiced. The Christian life has two dimensions, faith toward God and love toward men. And you cannot separate the two. He goes on, but Paul knew that faith and love were just the beginning. The Ephesians needed to know much more. This is why he prayed for them. I want us to just highlight that for a second. That, that there's no separation between the two. Paul's praying for them. And, if, and essentially in this letter, he was praying for us. He was saying, I, here's my prayer for the local churches that believe in the gospel of Jesus and that love Jesus. My prayer is that their faith would never be absent from their love. That the church would be known for having real, radical, zealous faith in Jesus. Yet at the very same time, they'd be known for having radical love for his people and for the nations. Faith and love are two sides of the same coin. We see this not just here in the Ephesian letter, but throughout the New Testament. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, the gospel writer John says, and this is his commandment. I want us to just look at this word commandment. You don't see an S there, do you? It doesn't say commandments. It says just this is the single commandment. This is it right here. If you ever would want to hone in on what you're supposed to be doing, this is the verse, all right? This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ. That right there is faith. To believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Just as he has commanded us. You see over and over again as the, the, the religious leaders of the day would approach Jesus and say, what's the commandment? There's 613 laws in the book of Deuteronomy and Numbers and Leviticus. What are we supposed to be focusing on most? And he said, here's what you're supposed to be focused on. Love the Lord your God with everything. That's faith. And love your neighbor, Jesus says, as I have loved you. He takes the commandment further than just loving your neighbor as you love yourself because some of us don't love ourselves that much. He says, but what if you loved your neighbor as I've loved you? How much does Jesus love us this morning? A whole lot, right? That's why we sing about his grace upon grace upon grace upon grace because we need that much grace. Every day we have a fresh bag of grace to just jump on into and tear open. You know why? Because we need it. We ran out of it yesterday. There was a, we, we went through enough grace and mercy from God yesterday that we need a whole new fresh amount today. Praise God he gives it to us, amen? Faith and love is what the gospel writer John writes to us, not just in his gospel, but in his epistle as well. Paul writes to the Galatian church. In Galatians 5 verse 6, he says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor un uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. So here's what was happening in the Galatian church. 
the gospel was beginning to make its way into the city of Galatia and the Jewish believers that were struggling because there was people hearing the gospel that weren't circumcised, which was a mark of a believer in the Lord in the Old Testament. And so right here they're saying, well, hey, that person can't receive the gospel because they're not like us. So, so we need to watch them with, a, with a sh- something in our eyes just because they're not quite like us, so they, they shouldn't receive it like us. They shouldn't get the gift of salvation like we do. And Paul's saying, hold up, in Christ Jesus, there's no circumcision nor uncircumcision. That doesn't count for anything anymore. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. That's what counts. He said, this is what matters, faith working through love. So how can you test if a person's faith is real? Is it at work? Is your faith at work through the way you love one another? Through the way you love your city? Through the way you love your neighbors? Some people ask, hey, Pastor Hyden, why'd you guys put on a block party and give everything away for free? Because we love the city. Why did we give all the teachers markers and gift cards last week? And by the way, if you're here this week and you didn't get one of those, we got one for you, all right? So make sure you let us know. Because we just want to love you guys. We want to show you that you're valued. We would rather just give it away just to show you, hey, we love y'all. Faith works through love. So here's how, here's how I just test people's faith. Do you really love Jesus? Let me see how, how you love one another. And that's a demonstration of genuine faith. In the book of 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verse 3, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. He says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And Paul says, you want to know how I know? Because of the way that you love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Because the way that your love is increasing, he says, your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. I've, I've encountered people that say, man, I just... I love Jesus so much, Pastor. I love him. I love him. I love him. I just can't stand the church. And I, I, I lovingly just tell him you're a liar. You're, you're a liar. And I, and I don't base that off my own wisdom. In the book of 1 John, he says, if you claim to love Jesus and hate his people, you're a liar. It says that in the scriptures because we are the bride of Christ. If you go up to somebody in here and you say, hey, Pastor Dean, I love you. I just can't stand your wife. We're going to have issues, right? Like, like Dean, I, I love hanging out with you. I love going over to your house. I just, I just hate your wife. That would be weird. Yet we're, we have Christians here in the city that, I love Jesus. I just hate the church. That's Jesus' bride you're talking about. He's not cool with that. Jesus loves his bride so much he died for the church, right? Like, How much does Jesus love his church? He'll die for his church. He puts up with us every day. He loves his church. The church is beautiful. The church is glorious. Now, of course, like any family, we got some crazy uncles. We got some strange cousins. And we're called to love them all. Right? And not just love the family, but love the nations. To even love people like us and Unlike us. Who's our greatest example of that? Jesus. I love Jesus' approach in Samaria, which was the most outcast city to Jerusalem and Israel. If you mentioned Samaria, it was immediate like that sour feeling in your stomach. Like, ooh, not Samaria. Jesus walks right into Samaria. 
ministers to a woman from Samaria and then uses her to start a revival in her city with the gospel. I love how in Acts 8 we see Philip, the disciple, the apostle. He would would go and then he would preach the gospel to an Ethiopian eunuch who we, we would say would be the first missionary to ever take the gospel to Africa. He was from Ethiopia. He was a eunuch. That means that he would not be allowed in the temple. He was, he was a Gentile. He wasn't allowed to worship with the other people. He wasn't allowed to go in the temple because he was a eunuch. There was, there was laws written about that and things like that. And, and the prophet Isaiah says one day Jesus is going to come, the Messiah, and he's going to rescue all people. People that look like you and don't look like you. People that believe like you and people that even don't at the time believe like you. And Jesus is going to make a difference. He's going to bridge the gap. And so I love what Paul says as we look back at our verses in Ephesians chapter 1, 15 through 16. He says it very clearly. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now before I move past this point, I just want to go ahead and make sure that we are all on the same page and that we understand the value of what we just read. The idea that, that faith and love go hand in hand. Tony Marita says it pretty plainly like this. He mentions, what is a Christian? Here's a good summary. A Christian has faith in the Lord Jesus and has love toward the saints. It's a summary statement right there. And a picture of what a believer is, is somebody who believes in Jesus and loves one another. And why I call that a picture is because the Apostle Paul heard about these people in Ephesus and he heard that they're doing it well. I would submit to you this morning that not only do we see this done well here, but recently we've seen a picture of this done wrong. And as I have been brokenhearted, as I've turned on the news, and I've looked at social media, and I've seen people in the name of Jesus, specifically in Charlottesville, Virginia, claim to have radical faith in Jesus, yet have been completely absent in their love for one another. And I want to go ahead and just say, hey, we hear about these things, right? The same way the Apostle Paul heard about their faith and their love for one another. He says, that's what a real person should be doing. That's what a real believer in Christ should look like. Yet at this time, we have turmoil in our nation. We have struggle. We have division. We have issue. And here's why. Because there's been people who have proclaimed to have faith, yet have been absent of their love. And I just want to be crystal clear with us this morning, Walk Church. That we are a church that believes the gospel of Jesus is for everyone. We do not limit it to anyone. That Jesus is a lover of all people, of all races, of all ethnicities. That we don't stand on one side or the other. I love how Paul writes in in the book of Colossians to the Colossian church. He says it like this in verse 11. He says that, hey, we are, he says that, that there's no longer Greek or, or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, bar, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So how should we approach a situation like Charlottesville? How should we approach things like 
white supremacists and and neo-Nazis and very tough issues in our nation today. You know why? You know how we should approach it? We should approach it with the gospel. We should look at these things with a gospel lens because really they're gospel issues. And here's what I believe, church, and let me just submit this to you as your pastor this morning. I believe that the church has not done a great job in this issue. For far too long, the church has tucked its tail behind them and has said, I'll just be silent about things in our culture that are deep and tough and even a little sticky. And we have sinned by allowing news stations, social media, and people around our culture in our world to speak for us. And it's the church that needs to be the leader in culture. It's the church of Jesus Christ that should have the loudest voice on how we should deal with issues that we're seeing in Charlottesville and around our nation. It's the church. It's the church that should be speaking up to people in other cities that say, in the name of Jesus, we have racism. It's the church that should be uh, denouncing that with absolute clarity. We don't need to look to our nation as much to do that. We need to look to, to Jesus. To, he, he's got the answers, amen? And if anybody has authority over all people, it's, it's him. It's him. And so we stand upon his word today. And at Walk Church, and all we can do is what we can do. And at Walk Church, I just want to make a clear statement to you people this morning, to our family this morning, to anybody who will be watching online, that we don't stand for racism. We don't stand for bigotry. We don't stand for anything of the sort. We denounce it. We call it what it is. It's demonic. It's racist. It's satanic. And we will not stand for that. And we will actually not just pray for it, but we'll call it out in the name of love with faith in Jesus. Amen? If you come into agreement with that, would you just say amen with me? Amen. And we got one clapper. I'm going to clap with you, sister. Because I believe that to be true with all my heart. I believe that to be true with all my heart. I'm going to close this moment, and we'll continue in the text, with a, with a quote from, from the president of the Ethics and Religious Council and our denomination from Dr. Russell Moore. He says it like this, and I just, I just want us to see this today, and I want us to make mention of it right now. That nothing could be further from the gospel than this sort of ethnic nationalism and racial superiority that ought to matter to every Christian. Regardless of national, ethnic, or racial background. After all, we are not our own, but are a part of a church. A church made up of all nations, all ethnicities, united not by blood and soil, but by the shed blood and broken body of Jesus Christ. The church should call white supremacy what it is, terrorism. But more than terrorism, white supremacy is Satanism. Even worse, white supremacy is a devil worship that often pretends that it is speaking for God. White supremacy angers Jesus of Nazareth. The question is, does it anger his church? And I just want to take one more moment to say, yes, it does. At least for this church, it does. We won't be scared to address it, but we'll do it with faith and we'll do it with love because that's the model we just saw in the Ephesian church and that's the model we've seen in Jesus. So I would encourage our church to let's start making it a priority to pray for our nation. Let's start making it a priority to pray for our president. Let's start making it a priority to pray for these groups that are actually deceived thinking that what they're doing is right and doing it with scripture quotations. That should break our heart, and that should drive us to our knees.
Amen. As we continue in these verses, we see that Paul continues in verse 16. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul says that that their faith and their love drove him to a posture of prayer. And when Paul thought of the Ephesian church, he thanked the Lord for the church. He prayed for the church and he remembered them in his prayers. This morning, I was on my knees just praying for you guys. Just praying that, God, I just pray for Walk Church just to, just to get to know you better. Just to understand you deeper. Just to love you more than they did yesterday. I remember I was at a conference as, uh, just as a young believer in Christ. I was just a year old in my faith. And I was leading a Bible study, and I just wasn't sure how to go about it. And I approached a pastor named Eric Mason. I was in the Philadelphia area. And I said, Pastor Eric, Pastor Mace, c- could you give me some encouragement and some wisdom on how to lead better? And here's what he challenged me to do, church. He said, go through all the letters of Paul and pick out all the prayers that Paul prayed for his people and start praying those prayers over your people. And you know what? That changed the way I prayed. And I said, you know what? I'm going to take this prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. I'm going to start praying that over our people. I'm going to start praying that they get to know him better. I'm going to start praying that. First off, I'm going to start thanking God for his church. Instead of complaining, I'm going to start thanking. Amen? What if we started thanking God more than complaining in our prayers? That would change our hearts. That could make a difference. And we see that as Paul opens up his prayer for the Ephesian church. And I want us to see his prayer for the church as we get ready to finish up here. We see it in verse 17. Paul begins his prayer for the Ephesians by saying, I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Paul says, I want to pray a couple things, very specific. I want to pray that God himself would come down into this room and that he would begin to give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. I don't know about you today, church, but I need that. We need that. So we need God by his spirit. Notice the capital S. Do you guys see the capital S? There's a reason for that. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. The actual spirit of Jesus Christ himself would actually come down And jump on you and say, I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm going to give you revelation. If that doesn't happen, we may approach this book and say, that's kind of boring. Or you know what? Church is cool, but I'm more excited about a TV show tonight. Or like, I'm more excited about college football season to start this week. Or I'm more excited about other stuff. If we don't have the Spirit of God giving us wisdom and revelation into the knowledge of Jesus, we'll think other things are better than Jesus. We'll say, you know what? I'm more concerned about stats than our Savior. We'll say, you know what? I I would rather read this new uh, fictional book out than actually spend time reading my word. I'm not really concerned about the knowledge of him. But I don't think there's anything more special we could know about than Jesus. And in heaven, there's no one that we're going to know more about than him. Why would we be focused and more passionate and more zealous for the things of this world and the things of our Savior? And Paul says, I know it all too well. 
Paul says, I'm praying for the Ephesians that the spirit of wisdom and of revelation would hit them and that they would look like a church that's more passionate for Jesus than anything else in this world. That is my prayer for our church this morning is that we would grow in the knowledge of wisdom and that we would grow in the revelation of our Savior. To quote from Warren Wearsby once again, he says, the believer must grow in his knowledge of God. To know God personally is salvation, John 17. To know him increasingly is sanctification in Philippians 3. To know him perfectly is glorification in 1 Corinthians 13. Since we are made in the image of God, Genesis 1, the better we know God, the better we know ourselves and each other. It is not enough to know God only as Savior. We must get to know him as Father, Friend, Guide. Brothers and sisters, the better we know him, the more satisfying our spiritual lives will be. I want to have a satisfying spiritual life in Christ. I don't want my life in Christ to be boring. I don't want to approach this book like, you know, dust the cobwebs off. Hey, I read a scripture a day. I want to see the treasures unfold from this book. Like, I want to read it and see gems fall out. You know what I need in order to have that? I need the spirit of revelation. When I go into this book, here's my challenge to you today, church. As you guys begin to approach God in prayer, as you begin to approach God in the word, would you stop before you read and say, Jesus, right now, Father, right now, give me the spirit of revelation. God, right now, give me the spirit of wisdom. Let me approach this book wisely. When I go into prayer, don't just start praying for things. Take a second to listen. God might reveal something to you. Think about it like this. One minute in prayer, God could accomplish more than he could do in one year of, of just doing your own thing. If God just gave you a revelation, just a word, in one minute, wouldn't that set the trajectory of your life in a different way? And too often we talk more at God than listen to God. I'll tell you what, this morning, church, I just want to hear from him. I just want the spirit of revelation. I just want the spirit of wisdom. And Paul has more prayers to pray, and we're going to dive deep into those prayers next week. But I would just encourage you this morning, as we walk through the craziness of our world, and people have different stuff going on, and we don't always have the answers, do we, church? We don't, and that's okay. But here's what we can pray at least. God, give us wisdom. Give us revelation. And I'm grateful that we have a God that says, yes, I'll do that. So God, right